Welcome to Premier Pain Talk, a podcast dedicated to expanding awareness about treatment options for people in pain. Each week, host Dr. Michael Danko from the Premier Pain Treatment Institute in Cincinnati, Ohio, will discuss cutting-edge treatments for pain management that are improving the quality of life for those suffering from chronic pain. Tune in now to learn more about how to relieve pain and restore your life. Welcome to Premier Pain Talk. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Danko. With me today is, is my good friend, Dr. Matt Wiederholtz. Uh, he is a, a fantastic physician with a, a bit of a unique practice where he spends uh, 75% of his time in the Houston area and uh, 25% of his time in the New Jersey area. Uh, and uh, we've, we've done a lot of work together on the on targeted drug delivery. And, uh, and today we're going to talk to you about a great new therapy uh, called peripheral nerve stimulation. Uh, and in this situation, uh, Dr. Wiederholz is definitely the, you know, one of the, the leading experts around the country, and, and I'm really excited to talk to him about it. Uh, and, uh, you know, rather than go on the, the really superficial doctor-doctor thing for the for 30 minutes, we'll, we'll go with uh, Mike and Matt. How's that sound? Perfect. All right. Well, tell us a, a, just a brief primer on on your career and, and where you're located in, in a little more detail than I just did, if you, if you would. Sure, Mike. No problem. Yeah. So I started uh, in New Jersey. I went to medical school in New Jersey. Uh, and then did my, my residency training in physical medicine rehabilitation uh, down in Houston, which is where I met my wife, uh, hence why I now live in Houston. Uh, but uh, I did a fellowship in sports and spine and uh, board certified in both sports medicine and pain management. Uh, spend most of my time doing interventional pain uh, and sports medicine. I have a passion in functional medicine as well. I did, did a, a board certification in functional medicine. I'm uh, very passionate about a bioidentical hormone replacement. But uh, yeah, I spend about 75% of my time in Houston, have a busy practice here. And then I fly up to New Jersey for one week every month uh, to see my New Jersey patients. And one of the nice things about COVID was that uh, it was really sort of brought telemedicine to the forefront. So uh, I'm actually still seeing New Jersey patients the rest of the month, uh, just virtually. Uh, And so that's brief intro on, on me. Uh, as far as peripheral nerve stimulation, I got into it very early, sort of serendipitously, but been using it for, for quite some time now, uh, very successfully, and, and happy to be here to, to talk about this therapy and, and educate folks about it. Absolutely. And so peripheral nerve stimulation, you know, the, we're really, uh, in the focus of these podcasts, we're trying to raise therapy awareness uh, and make it so that People hear about these devices and they don't just all lump, lump them together as all something they've already heard about. You know, I don't want, I never want a patient to, to disregard a peripheral stimulator because they think it's a spinal cord stimulator. And they, and they think about their mother's brother's uncle who had a stimulator 20 years ago and it shocked them or something. And then they just completely turned their minds off on it. So and now, can you, for the, for the, the listening audience here, if you can just give a, a a brief introduction on on what peripheral nerve stimulation is, and and uh, you know some of the kind of the core principles of, of peripheral stimulation, and maybe how how they differ from spinal cord stimulation. Sure, yeah, that's that, and that's a really great point. I think the first thing to to note is that when you think of the nervous system, you think of two main parts. You have your central nervous system, which is your brain and spinal cord. And then you have your peripheral nervous system, which is all the other nerves in your body. So all the nerves that run down your arms, your legs, your trunk, uh, that's your peripheral nervous system. So there are a huge number of targets 
for peripheral nerve stimulation. When we say stimulation, this is using electrical impulses to stimulate nerves and block pain signals. That's actually one area where it's very similar to spinal cord stimulation in that the technology is really the same. You're using an electrode and a power source, and you're driving energy to a nerve in order to modulate that nerve, the function of that nerve, the transmission of pain signals. Uh, And so instead of giving medication and adjusting the dose of the medication, we're giving electricity, electrical impulses uh, to these nerves in order to modulate the signals and, and block pain. Now, again, to differentiate from spinal cord stimulation, spinal cord stimulation addresses the central nervous system. So you're stimulating nerves in the spinal cord, which is part of that central nervous system. With peripheral nerve stimulation, we are actually targeting a very specific target in the peripheral nervous system. So a a specific nerve. And so that is a much more targeted approach. So think of it as a sniper approach versus a shotgun approach with uh, spinal cord stimulation. Yeah, that's a that's a great way to describe it. And you know, you know, there's a lot of emphasis on on targeting nerves with peripheral nerve stimulation, but it's also a therapy that you know it's, it can be used for for other types of pain, not just neuropathic or nerve pain. It can be used for mechanical pain, you know, um, you know, from painful joints and that. So when when we're talking about targets, we know that there's a, a wide variety. Of, of options and, and areas we can treat, but what are some of the most common sources of, of pain that you treat with peripheral nerve stimulation? You know, that's, that's always a, a very common question that, that gets asked. My practice, because I've been doing peripheral nerve stimulation so long, uh, and I'm happy to address issues anywhere in the body, my practice is really very diverse when it comes to peripheral nerve stimulation. So there isn't really a specific nerve that I target more than, than any other. However, that being said, I do a lot of training of, of physicians on peripheral nerve stimulation. We try to focus on some basic ones because we know a lot of people have knee problems, right? A lot of people out there have had knee replacements and still have pain. So we try to make that a primary focus in the training so that we can address a common problem rather than problems that are, that are less, less common out there. Uh, And so knee targets seem to be very popular. Additionally, shoulder targets. So many people suffer from shoulder pain, whether it's rotator cuff pathology or arthritis of the shoulder joint, or perhaps they've had a shoulder replacement and they still have pain. These are additionally very common targets for peripheral nerve stimulation. And then Any other target can be done. Foot and ankle pain uh, is also relatively common and undertreated. Folks out there tend to run to the podiatrist's office, which is not a bad place to start. But when the podiatrist doesn't have a surgical solution or perhaps a surgery has been done and there's persisting pain, that's when it's time to refer and, and link with a good pain doctor that is trained in peripheral nerve stimulation so we can identify the problem and also treat it effectively. But there are targets all throughout the body, but I would say knee and shoulder are probably the top ones that we try to educate physicians on because it's just such a common problem out there. And you mentioned uh, knee replacements. You know, I, th- I think one of the ways this therapy is really interesting is that it's, it's very 
it's very safe and it, and it can be done uh, for patients that have medical problems or what we call comorbidities. Is this a, is this the type of therapy that could be used to, to delay uh, that joint replacement or is it, or uh, is it an option for patients who, who need a joint replacement, but, uh, but they can't qualify for the surgery? You make a tremendously good point. Uh, that is absolutely the case. I'll give you one example of a, of a patient of mine very, very recently. She is 80-something years old, 88, something like that. She weighs about 400 pounds. She has a lot of medical comorbidities. She has severe bone-on-bone arthritis. We have been doing a number of injection treatments in her knees. She does get some relief. However, the gel injections that she's getting don't last six months. The steroid injections that she's getting don't last three months. And so we needed another solution. And so we targeted her nerves around her knee. We did a nerve block to see, does that relieve her pain? And it did. And so then we placed an electrode. And in fact, I showed up at the surgical center and the anesthesia team refused to provide anesthesia for the case because of her comorbidities, her weight, all of the all of the issues that she had, cardiac history. And so we actually did her implant. We did her trial in the office under local anesthesia. We did her implant under local anesthesia. And she did fine. And so now she has relief of her knee pain. And that's someone who is a candidate for a knee replacement, ideally, but just simply can't get it done because of her age, her weight, and her other medical conditions. And these folks normally are stuck just getting steroid injection after steroid injection. And now we have a therapy that can alleviate that pain and either delay or prevent the knee replacement altogether. And so you mentioned briefly there the trial phase, and then and then a little bit beforehand you mentioned nerve blocks. Uh, can you talk a little bit about kind of where this where peripheral nerve stimulation fits in the progression of, of therapy, and then and then what that trial the fact you, you there is a trial phase where you can try it out. So um, you know maybe take your patient who comes in presents to you they they have you know a a focal pain in in a joint or, or from a particular nerve distribution. Um, what things might you try before you get to peripheral nerve stimulation? And then, and then how do you test it to see if you want to move forward? This is a permanent option for the patient. Yeah, that's a, that's a great, great topic. The patients who, let's just say this is a patient who's already had a knee replacement. That's kind of a streamlined situation. And then we'll talk about a patient who deals dealing with arthritis. But a patient who's already had a knee replacement has limited options, right? The, the joint's already been replaced. So you can't really do steroid injections into the knee. The the pathology has already been addressed. However, that patient may still be suffering from knee pain or or dysfunction. And so I'll do a a nerve block of the nerves that innervate the knee joint. Uh, And then we'll typically do what's called an ablation treatment, uh, a radiofrequency ablation. That basically will deaden the nerves for a period of time And many patients get great relief with that. If that gives them extended relief uh, for six to 12 months and they just repeat that, that's fine. But let's say that patient uh, gets only three months of relief from an ablation or worse. Maybe they only get a month or two of relief. What options do we have there? We already know that the block was successful in alleviating the pain. We used one modality 
radio frequency to try to alleviate the pain. And maybe it worked, maybe it didn't. Uh, or maybe the patient wants a permanent solution. They don't want to keep coming back every six months to, to have that ablation done, which is uncomfortable and oftentimes requires them to go under anesthesia. That's when peripheral nerve stimulation comes to mind. And I'll have the patient do a trial. All of these therapies, keep in mind, no one is rushing to implant this device without trialing it first. We, we always call it a test drive. You're not going to buy the car unless you test drive it first. This just happens to be a week-long test drive. So you get to really see whether this is a good fit for you. And then after that week, the temporary device comes out and, and you make a decision whether you want to have this implanted. The implant procedure for peripheral nerve stimulation is really not a huge deal. As I mentioned, I was able to implant uh, my last patient under just local anesthesia. So very small incisions, uh, not a lot of discomfort uh, typically with implanting these devices. Now let's shift gears and say you've got a patient with arthritis. This patient will obviously undergo traditional therapies, physical therapy corticosteroid injections. I do a lot of regenerative medicine. And so we talk to patients about that. And that's a whole separate topic, but that's an option for them as well. And then FDA approved therapies like hyaluronic acid injections or disco supplementation. Lots of different products out there, all viable options for patients with osteoarthritis. And of course, these ablations and peripheral nerve stimulation are options as well. Uh, and so I I always like to include that in my discussion with patients uh, because, again, not everybody wants to keep coming back for injection after injection after injection. and would rather just have a permanent solution that they themselves have control over. Uh, and so that's essentially my, my strategy, educating my patients about this therapy. And then you know, a lot of patients have been exposed, whether it's through physical therapy or, or other options, that they, they've, they're familiar with the concept of a TENS unit or they used a TENS unit before, um, which is really, you know, a really high energy field stimulation type situation. And, and, I, and I think it's very different from what people feel with peripheral nerve stimulation. Can you talk a bit about what a patient might feel or, or not feel when, when it comes to stimulating these nerves and the, and the fact that just the way the energy delivery is much different and what they might, how they, that translates to what they feel. Yeah, that's a good point. Because a lot of folks, when we talk about stimulation, they immediately think TENS unit because most people have experienced TENS, right? You've been to the physical therapist and they've applied a TENS unit and felt that tingling sensation. That is uh, low frequency, high energy type uh, stimulation. What we're doing with peripheral nerve stimulation in most cases is actually using higher frequencies, close to 1,500 hertz, uh, and stimulating in a paresthesia-free methodology. So essentially, what does paresthesia-free mean? It means you don't feel the stimulation. You don't feel that tingling. Now, some people like that tingling, and this device happens to have that type of versatility. Regardless of manufacturer, most of these devices will have the abilities to shift from low frequency to high frequency. So if you like that tingle sensation, we can usually provide that. And if you don't, we can make it paresthesia-free. Now, we've had the most success in our case series uh, that we've published with higher frequency therapy. And so we generally shy away from that, that tingle sensation. 
uh, and you tend to acclimate to that tingle sensation. And your brain essentially says, if I don't feel the tingle, then, then I don't have pain relief. And if over time your, your body acclimates to the stimulation, you no longer feel that same tingle sensation, you might think that it's not working. Uh, instead, we power it with a high-frequency energy where you don't feel the stimulation, but the nerve is, there is energy being driven to that nerve and the pain is relieved. And we found that over 90% of patients actually prefer paresthesia-free settings where you don't feel that tingle. And so you've probably, if you've used a TENS unit, if you left it on for more than 20 minutes, you've probably kind of felt how that it's sort of uncomfortable. Your skin sort of feels uncomfortable. Uh, and so these low-frequency simulation settings tend to be uncomfortable over time, uh, whereas the paresthesia-free or higher-frequency settings, you don't have any sensation whatsoever. And so your body tolerates that. And we can continue to drive energy to block pain signals without that discomfort uh, feeling of low frequency energy. That's great. Now shifting on to the kind of the, the implant, uh, some if, if a person does a, some online searching on peripheral nerve stimulation, they may see um, some reference to this being a, a, like a wearable technology or a situation where there there isn't a battery uh, implanted like there is with a spinal cord stimulator. And um, can you talk a bit about? The, you know what a, what a patient who has an implant and the, what the, what it is with their day to day life and in terms of the how how it's different where it doesn't have a, a separate implanted battery that's under the skin. Yeah, and that's that's actually highly desirable. the The challenge with peripheral nerves, particularly as you get to areas where there's not a lot of fat, there's not a lot of tissue, trying to shove a battery under the skin in that area can be very challenging. So these devices have been designed, at least the ones that are currently FDA-approved for peripheral nerve stimulation, they've been designed to not have an internal power source. Instead, the power source is external and built into wearable technology. Uh, and so just like you're used to wearing a strap or a sleeve to put some of your other devices, so let's say you're a runner and you want to carry your phone with you while running, but you don't want to hold it, you probably have some sort of wearable that you're using, whether it's a strap or a sleeve or some sort of pouch uh, that you're using to uh, engage those devices. This is no different. And so there are companies that have uh, devices that stick on your skin. There are other companies that have devices uh, that are uh, incorporated into wearables, into clothing. And so these are options that make the surgery less invasive so you don't have to have an internal battery. Uh, and it, it makes it really easy for folks to use these devices. Is this a, what's the MRI status with these devices? Uh, is, is, and is there a difference between the, the different devices in terms of their MRI conditionality? There is. Uh, and in that case, you know, I, I would recommend looking at the actual instructions for use for each of the companies. But uh, there are devices that are MRI uh, conditional, meaning you can still get a full body MRI with a peripheral nerve stimulator. It's important to ask your doctor which manufacturer has MRI conditional status, which one doesn't. And so that's a discussion that I think is important to have with your physician. I also really think it's a good idea to, to make note that 
look, there are different manufacturers out there. What's the advantage, disadvantage of each one of these? So for instance, when I'm in New Jersey, that's a very different climate than when I'm in Houston, right? So in Houston, it's hot and sticky all the time. I would shy away from a device that sticks on your skin, that, re- that relies on good contact with your skin because we're sweaty all the time here. Now in New Jersey, where the climate is drier, it's cold the majority of the year. Okay, we have a couple of months where it's hot and sticky, but generally speaking, it's a climate where that wouldn't be as big of a deal. But so I tend to gravitate towards a device that uh, is incorporated into a wearable, whether it's clothing or a sleeve or a strap, because it gives patients more versatility uh, versus having to stick something on the skin. But I think that's a discussion that you should have with your physician. Maybe for you, sticking something on your skin uh, and having it underneath your clothing uh, makes more sense than integrating something into your clothing. So it's important to know that there are different options out there and ask your doctor. Now, I do want to shift gears a bit and, and talk about what it's like to have you know practices in two different states. But before we move on, any last uh, kind of parting words on, on the topic of peripheral nerve stimulation you want to make sure we get across to our listeners? Yeah, Mike, I think the important thing here is for people to know that regardless of where you have pain, find a doctor in your community that is trained on peripheral nerve stimulation because there's a very high likelihood that that particular pain can be targeted. And even if you've seen five, 10 different doctors and you've had a multitude of injections and you're still suffering, this therapy is life-changing for patients that uh, are candidates for this therapy. So um, there are ways that you can find doctors that are trained in peripheral nerve stimulation. If you Google peripheral nerve stimulation, you'll probably find these manufacturers of the devices, and their website usually lists the physicians who have already been trained. And find a doctor. If you're in Cincinnati, call Dr. Danko. He's trained. This is why we do the podcast, right? This is what you're trying to do. You're trying to educate your patients. These are resources that I think are so important. Find a doctor in your community because you're, if you're seeing a different doctor who's managing this, let's say you're with a podiatrist, you're not going to know that Dr. Danko is trained in peripheral nerve stimulation and make that referral. It's just not going to happen. You have to empower yourself. You have to educate yourself and find these resources. But do that because there's no reason for you to be suffering in pain when there's a therapy that potentially could eliminate that pain or at least improve your quality of life tremendously. And that really is a great point because this therapy, you know, this is this uses multiple different imaging modalities and and like one in particular ultrasound guidance. Some of the you know elder statesmen in the pain management world, you know, they may never have been trained on ultrasound, uh, and so. I think it's important that, that to keep in mind that if you are seeing another pain management specialist and they don't do peripheral nerve stimulation, it may just be that they don't have the training to do it. Uh, and that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And it doesn't mean it doesn't, that you're not a candidate. It just means you have to, you know, seek out an, a, you know, another, maybe a second opinion to see, you know, with another physician to see if it's possible. Great, great point. You know, I'm, I'm fortunate. I, I've had a few pain management doctors in my area that actually refer patients to me for 
procedures that they know I do that they don't do, and they don't have that chip on their shoulder, that ego that, that says, no, my patient can't co-treat with another pain management doctor. I have other pain management doctors that only do medication management, and they do refer out for uh, interventional therapies, including peripheral nerve stimulation. But I would say 98, 99% of the time, if you are under the care of a pain management doctor that is not trained in peripheral nerve stimulation, you will never get peripheral nerve stimulation unless you educate yourself and empower yourself to find it. All right. So the, over the last couple of minutes here, you know, I want to shift gears and, and talk about, you know, having practices in two different states. And uh, you might think we want to, I want to talk about medicine and talk about, you know, regulations and rules and different things. Uh, I really want to talk about what it's like to live in two different states, you know, every month. And like, for instance, in, does your diet change? Do you eat one way in Houston when you're around your family all the time? And do you, are you a junk food fiend in New Jersey? You know, what, what's it, what's it like living in, in, on the East coast and in the, in the heart of the South every month? Yeah. Uh, you mentioned diet. That's uh, embarrassingly uh, true. I have a wonderful wife at home who is an amazing cook and she takes great care of me. Uh, and so I eat really great meals uh, when I'm in Houston. When I'm in New Jersey, most nights I'm networking. We're, we're business owners. We're, we're trying to grow our, our business and our practice. And so since I have limited time in New Jersey to do any sort of uh, outreach, I tend to do uh, dinners when I'm up in New Jersey. So I'm eating out most nights uh, when I'm in New Jersey. Uh, now, fortunately, my, my immediate family, my parents, my brother, my sister, live up that way. And so oftentimes on the weekend, I get home-cooked meals uh, with, with, my, with my family. But most nights, I'm, I'm not eating uh, the best food. But as far as just the overall life, uh, you know, you're, you're living in hotels for, for a week versus uh, being in your bed at home. That's, that's a bit challenging. The one saving grace, uh, I think you and I are both uh, into fitness. You know, I started my career as a, as a personal trainer and, and, and worked as a trainer through, uh, through uh, college and, and first part of medical school. And so I really value fitness. Uh, I'm a member at Lifetime Fitness and I have a lifetime fitness within a five-minute drive of each of my offices. And so that's a big saving grace for me. And that sort of keeps me grounded when I'm traveling. So my routine is still the same. Wake up in the morning and go to lifetime. Get my exercise in and get ready for, for the day. And so I really credit that to keeping me sane and, and, and on task. So when it comes to sports teams, you know, how, how does, how does that factor into the, into it? Do you, you tend to root for more of the East coast teams? Are you rooting for more of the Houston based teams? Are you, are you, are you a huge fan of what's happening in the NCAA tournament with Houston knocking off, uh, you know, whoever it was last night, I think it was maybe Arizona or something. So, you know, I'm not a huge sports buff. And the reason I kind of got away from, I was a, I was a huge Michael Jordan fan and, and, huge Chicago Bulls fan growing up. However, now, mainly because I'm traveling so often, when I'm home, I try to just be with my family and, and not, not get too uh, 
bogged down with uh, watching sports and, and watching television. So I actually got rid of cable a number of years ago. I, I don't watch any television. So I, I kind of tune out to sports nowadays, which is uh, sort of a, a positive and a negative uh, as well. But yeah, it's, uh, it's not a big thing for me. As far as like going to games, I still enjoy going to a game and I tend to just root for the home team. So I lived in Philadelphia for eight years and rooted for Philly teams when I lived there. And now I live in Houston, so I root for Houston. But you can uh, brand me a, a bandwagon guy, but uh, <laughs> I just tend to root for, for my home team. Well, I understand that. So, you know, I'm not a native from Cincinnati. I grew up in Cleveland and, and all my loyalties are to the Cleveland teams. And then I went to med school at Ohio state. So between those two, that's usually where the, my allegiances fall, but uh, I did my training at university of Cincinnati and I've lived in Cincinnati since then. So, you know, the Bengals made their run to the Super Bowl. It was hard not to, to hop on the bandwagon, uh, you know, seeing the Cincinnati Bearcats getting in the college playoffs, you know, it's, it's hard not to, to say, Oh, well, Hey, I got two degrees from university of Cincinnati. I guess I'm allowed to root for them. Even, even though I'm a Buckeyes fan. So it's, I, I, I understand that in some degrees. I also understand a little bit of the, the gym membership thing. Uh, I live in Northern Kentucky. And, and so sometimes I go to Kentucky gym, sometimes I go to Ohio gym and having that flexibility, I think, it, you know, for maintaining your, uh, your lifestyle, I think uh, consistent, like, it's, you know, cause exercise is important, especially if you're eating out as much as, as you are. Now, I guess we'll, we'll close it up with, I guess, a quick, uh, question about plane rides. You're obviously flying on the plane all the time. Are you, are you a movie watcher? Are you just, uh, you know, maybe catch up on sleep? Are you, uh, are you very diligent? Do you just catch up on work? Uh, what, what's your, what's your typical kind of go-to mood when you're on, on the plane on those, on those yeah, flights? That's a good question. I, I have a very hard time doing work on the plane. Never, never was good at it. I'm tall. So try to squeeze a laptop on, onto my tray table and, and it just doesn't work well for me. And I just don't, I, I don't feel like I'm very productive on the plane. So I use it for, for two main things. Number one, if I do need a little extra rest, uh, I, I tend to, to doze off uh, on the plane. Number two, yes, I'll, I'll catch up on some movies or, uh, Netflix. Uh, I'll download some episodes, but, uh, I recently got into audiobooks, and it's been a game changer for me. Uh, you know, being being a busy professional, it's hard. You know, I prioritize exercise, but finding enough time, downtime to sit and read is really difficult. And so I hadn't been able to, I just really was not able to read any, any books. And so, and on the plane, yes, I can read a book a physical book, but I find that listening to an audiobook works great for me because I can do it on the plane. Uh, I can do it in the car, just driving to and from work. Uh, and so I've, I've just been blowing through books with this audiobook membership. Uh, and I found that even through your library, uh, there's an app called Libby that you can, you can rent audiobooks from your library for free. Uh, and this is fantastic. So now I'm able to to get through some books that I that I want to read. Most notably, I'm just about done with uh, with Hamilton. Ron Chernow uh, wrote a book on Hamilton, which the, the musical is based off of. And we actually just saw the musical here in Houston, which was incredible. Uh, and that book is fantastic for anyone uh, wanting uh, a book on on Alexander Hamilton. 
Uh, and then my next one up is um, Life Force, which is a, a book by uh, Tony Robbins, uh, mainly about, uh, very different from his other books on uh, wealth and, and financial-oriented uh, books. This one is really about, it's right up my alley with, with uh, bioidentical hormones and nutrition and, and those sorts of things and how to how to optimize your health and, and prolong life. Uh, and so Tony Robbins uh, has a pretty interesting story in that uh, he has, I don't know if you know this, but he had a, um, a pituitary tumor and has excess growth hormone and was told as a child he needed surgery or told as a young adult that he needed surgery to remove this tumor. And he did his own research and found all the benefits of growth hormone. And he decided not to have the surgery. And I think he talks about that in this book. And I'm, I'm excited to read it. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I, uh, I've really gotten into audiobooks the last couple of years myself as I've been doing more uh, you know, triathlon training and, you know, uh, and, and listening to something while I'm out, out on the bike or on, uh, you know, running. And I found that now when I'm in the car, uh, I, my go-to is to throw on, you know, a podcast or, or an audio book and, and, uh, I think that's a little bit of the genesis for how I kind of thought about doing this is listening to some of the different podcasts that I do. Um, so if you, you know, if you need some recommendations on, a, on an audio book, start running out of titles. I got, I got plenty of them as well. You know, I, uh, I kind of, depending on my mood and, and also probably depending on what my last book was, I kind of, I kind of rotate between things that are kind of in the triathlon ultra distance world or the, you know, the, the, that, you know, things that toughen yourself up, uh, the, the David Goggins can't hurt me kind of stuff. Uh, but then I did an audio, listen to uh, Steve Jobs audio book that was pretty awesome. Um, Bruce Springsteen has a, has a uh, audio book called Born to Run where he, he's the the reader of it, which is pretty awesome. Given you're in, uh, you know, in Texas, you know, you're pretty applicable, but uh, Matthew McConaughey's audio book, Green Lights, is, re- is really pretty fascinating. And he, it's another one where he he's does the reading on it. And then uh, at some time, at some point, I'm going to do uh, one of these podcasts. I feel like I need to do a book review on on some of these uh, books that are that relate to the opioid epidemic. So like the I listened to American Pain. That was a, a wild, wild book. And by the way, for all of you listeners, if you've listened to American Pain or if you've listened to Empire of Pain or the Dreamland, our practices are nothing like that. We are not pill mills. We are no, we. We, uh, you know, we are all above board. We, you know, we accept insurance and, we, you know, we do follow all the rules and, you know, the, all the crazy wild stories you hear in those audiobooks. Like, you know, that's not that's not what interventional pain management is. Uh, so so if you need any topics and you, know, you let me know and uh, you know, any any last parting words for for our listeners tonight or today. No, I think you covered it all, man. I think this is great. Good job. Awesome. All right. Well. Uh, and again, if, if uh, uh, this will be up on online and on podcasts uh, coming up soon. And uh, and uh, uh, Dr. Weirdholtz, uh, thank you very much for joining me and uh, have a great day, bud. Thanks, Doc. Thanks for listening to Premier Pain Talk, where we understand your pain and share solutions that can improve your quality of life. This episode is brought to you by Premier Pain Treatment Institute, which has convenient Cincinnati area locations in Loveland, Mount Orb, and Hillsboro. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you get updates on all new episodes. Feedback is sincerely appreciated. 